uh, if I remember right, uh, isn't your your spouse speak in Spanish? Or yes, my, my most recent uh, ex, she does only speak Spanish. Okay. Um, so my daughter is bilingual, leaning towards Spanish. Um, and so it gives me a lot of motivation to master as much as I can every day. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. How many kids do you have now? I've got three. So I have a uh, catching me. Yeah. One year old, three year old, five year old. Oh yeah. Same exact track too. Bless your heart. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you know, man, in the thick of it. Yes. I, I had the same exact age levels. The nice thing was, at certain time of the year, it was very easy to remember their ages. Um, <laughs> right now, mine are at the awkward stage of 12, 9, and 7, and almost 3, almost 8. So it's like, huh, um, hard to keep yeah. up with with all the ages. But, yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Uh, no, especially time Christmas for sleep. Time. Be ultra, ultra patient with each other. <laughs> as as parents and spouses, you guys are in the, you are in the thick of it. <laughs> I can think of no harder stage. No, it's fun. It's uh, they're only gonna be the stage once, so it, uh, we're we're certainly appreciating it. Actually, what you know, this is totally off topic, but one of the things yeah. we we did is we switched to uh, to a light phone. So like we got rid of our smartphones and moved to these old dumb phones because we want to spend more time like focused on the kids and what they're doing in the living room, you know, rather than looking down and scrolling. So I I set up all those things to like stop myself from you know, wasting time on my smartphone. And I would always get around those things. Like whether it was hiding an app or setting a screen time limit, I'd always break my own rules. So I just got a dumb phone and now I can't. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Do anything else. Yeah. That's a great life hack. Uh, what's that? What's the outcome feel like? How you been doing a, that for? Yeah. You know, we've been doing it for two and a half months now. So the first month was a huge transition. It was uh, it, it was like breaking habits and then uh, uh but now like i don't miss it at all and, you know the only thing i noticed is the other day we were driving through town i'm like well i wonder why all the flags are at half mass <laughs> like i'm out of the news cycle quite a bit but uh other than that like no impact really so, uh, so well except that you know that I have, yeah i have like four hours of my day i feel like days are longer because i've got mm. so much time back now um you know that what that i'm not spending on a phone I'm, there's a lot of like benefits you don't really i never thought I about it yeah i'm a i'm definitely a safer driver than i used to be <laughs> more attentive yeah that's a lot of good stuff all right so we're gonna be talking about startup financing options through government contracts with the department of defense and how to get those um you know we've talked about this a couple times over the last several years and uh i guess as far as startups goes, um, you know, tech startups specifically, what defines a tech startup? Yeah, so uh, I mean, it's going to be it can be all the things. Like we've got uh, companies in so many different categories that, between software products, hardware, um, start and services. No, no products at all. Uh, but it's really it's a uh, it's a new company founded, um, you know, by entrepreneurs who are looking to disrupt a, a, an industry. Uh, they're trying to bring in innovation to a, uh, you know, new new category, and that that I think is how I define a tech startup is one that you know is it's a it's a brand new small business, and uh, they're not trying to you know s sell 
pizzas and you know or mow lawns but they're trying to like actually you know change an industry or and, and bring something new to market all right awesome um and is there any uh minimum minimum funding goal that that has to be in place for them uh no all right welcome in to vision pros live with jackson callum i'm your show host we'll be doing interviews for visionary entrepreneurs and guest leaders who are building fantastic visions out there hey welcome in vision pros uh, I'm your show host, Jackson Callum, founder and CEO of First Class Business. I'm excited to be hosting Sam Rain. Um, I'm going to be doing a full introduction for Sam and what he does with SBIR and how he helps with these co government contracts and getting you funding to work with the Department of Defense. Um, in just a little bit, we're going to be talking about a podcast episode we did years ago. Um, but before we do that, a uh, quick mention and shout out to the sponsors Cold Click is what we use, the tool we use for LinkedIn automation. Um, we combine that, by the way, with uh, Ulink and, and Octopus. Um, there's and, and Cold Click really helps us on the algorithm aspects as well, making sure that we're compliant as we reach out to as many people as we can so that we're gathering the relationships that are kind of ready to go today. Um, you may have heard the stat that uh, at any given time, 5% of the market is kind of ready to go with whatever it is that you're selling. Now, that's different for luxury real estate um, you know, or commercial real estate as it is for uh, a pair of socks, for instance. People tend to be in the market more often for a pair of socks than they are for a higher ticket item. But it's just something that you should be aware of as you're going out and approaching people, uh, anticipate the word no more often and realize that what they're really saying is not now a lot of the times and your overreactions or if you've ever heard the term of ghosting people don't typically ghost you unless you do something awful or unethical um so i would also break the habit of calling it that and realizing that people have a natural buying cycle um, that they're usually waiting for or need to pass through in order to move forward Moving on to Simply Fast websites over here. Um, if I was starting a new brand today, um, I needed to start from scratch. Um, I was just impressed with the fact that Shane has websites starting at $179. And I would push him to that limit. Honestly, I would just say, hey, I'll do a $179 website. Let me know what I need to fill out. Um, and then I would go full steam ahead with that to get, get the project done because as a business owner, you don't really have time to waste. You need to be productive and profitable and tinkering around with a website that's going to evolve, that's going to need to change is one of the last things that you need to be doing with your time. Um, so I would consider him in my lineup uh, as you probably build out on Wix or Squarespace to get an idea as well as you perhaps contact people on Fiverr or Upwork. He's just another option that I thought was really cool. I was like, hey, um, if I was starting over right now, um, he is, he's the type of person that I would turn to, um, and definitely interview further. Then there's the water project. The water, I always look down because I'm looking for my water bottle. I don't have it right here. It's in the other room though. And that's why I highlight the water project and talk about it every single episode, because there's a lot of people in, in life that have to walk miles and miles just to get to a source of water that may or may not be safe for their family. I'm sure that the, uh, levels of anxiety and stress that they've had to learn to deal with. Um, is probably something incomprehensible to most of us. Uh, in addition to that, these kids are going to getting water and missing school time. 
the the parents or the grandparents um you know it takes away from their ability to provide for their families too uh, we all have the opportunity to give back, whether that means sharing this message with somebody else who can give back. You never know. You might share it with one person who goes ahead and gives a thousand dollars, which could fund, um, you know, one of these projects by itself in some cases. Uh, and then you get to see the outcome of what your contribution looks like. If you give a dollar, if you give ten thousand dollars, whatever it is, you get to see exactly what they're going to build. You get to see the process of them putting the work to do it. And then you get to see the outcome. Um, you know, what their, their lives look like after they have their borehole well, as it's often called, or their sand dam. And learning about those experiences, um, to me, it just it just adds a little bit of joy and a little bit of peace to my life. And that's a very, very, um, I don't know, it's just an extra perk of of being able to do something good. And in the business world, I've often heard this called clean energy, um, dirty energy, clean energy, one final concept. Uh, something I learned from Taylor Welch talked about dirty energy being like when you listen to hype music before you you go and you go on stage or you you go to a trade show and, and speak there or um, you know I guess soda would provide you dirty energy uh, caffeine right something that gets you going in the adrenaline in the moment it's like your nos push forward um, but it only lasts for for a few minutes or a few hours then there's clean energy which are the things that help you sustain the success over a long period. Think about like the marathon runners that need to sustain their energy for a long time. Or like we've talked about those who need to sustain that over months at a time, serving other people is a great way to build clean energy. Drinking a gallon of water, um, you know, per day, drinking, I'm sorry, getting a, a walk um, and, and getting some sunshine in. Those are all clean energy activities, calling a friend and and expressing gratitude or, you know, just sharing a memory of how much they mean to you from the past and walking up to a stranger and giving them a dollar and walking away, whether they need it or not, just doing it. Those are all elements of clean energy that can boost you for your projects that require longevity. And as a visionary entrepreneur, you're going to need a lot of things to boost your energy um, for the, the long term. So, with that said, I'm going to bring Sam Rain on. Let me pull up here uh, a little bit about Sam. I just had an image open. What did I do with it? Cynthia, lo puedes compartir el imagen con Sam. So Sam and I met a long time ago. I was, I think I had just moved back to San Antonio from Austin. I was trying to get uh, acclimated to the, the business world in San Antonio. And I learned about this event for this launch of this podcast called the Startup Club in San Antonio. Um, so I go to the event, I meet Sam and Ricky and got to know some people at their, their little cool event. And they decided they were going to put me on their podcast. Um, this is probably like my third, second or third podcast interview. So here we are, episode 13, sitting around a table in a, a local restaurant in, in uh, San Antonio, munching on, on uh, appetizers at the same time. Uh, and they presented at, we don't have a... Uh, yeah, we have Geekdom in San Antonio. It's like the little startup incubator and they do Startup Week San Antonio. That's right. And they were hosting the podcast during Startup Week as well. And it was like the coolest thing ever for me. It's really, it's one of the things that inspired me to launch this show. Um, and Sam has been helping people, helping entrepreneurs get government contracts with the Department of Defense, uh, former military himself. And we'll be bringing up more about uh, his bio while we talk. But Sam's become a good friend and I moved away and then I thought he moved away, didn't. So now we're going to be hanging out a lot more in person. But without further ado, 
Sam, welcome to Vision Pros Live, man. Thanks for being here. Hey, yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, despite, I, you know, I'm still in San Antonio and it's under 60 degrees. And so I break out the cold weather gear. <laughs> so. <laughs> Absolutely. And I got my my heater uh, turned way up for all of you Northerners who are like, what are y'all talking about? <laughs> Dude, we don't do cold here. <laughs> so. No, yeah, yeah. 59, it's a, it's a crisis. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So Sam, uh, who, who should be listening today? Um, and, and tell me more about what qualifies you for this process, because in, in all, uh, you know, full disclaimer, I've never gotten my own government contract. I've worked with a company who did, um, but I, I didn't get to learn as much about that process as I wanted to. And I've never worked with the Department of Defense. I'm not military. And, you know, it's so these finance options are quite foreign to me. Um, you know, and so t tell us everything you can about about why you on this. Yeah, sure. So as far as, uh, you know, who, who should be listening, I think any any entrepreneur or any uh, small business owner who is considering working with the Department of Defense or the government um, and making them a customer, uh, this this podcast can be for you. Right? This discussion I'm, I'm looking forward to. And and really like the, the DOD, you know, to the outside seems like a giant black box. It's like, uh, oh, well, I don't sell weapons, so I can't sell the DOD. And that's not right. true. Like you look at the Department of Defense or the government in general, and it is a it is almost a clone of the commercial market in that you have you have large financial institutions, you have large medical facilities, you have schools, you have uh, infrastructure with with uh, neighborhoods that are on base and you know office buildings and everything that you could sell to a a enterprise customer on the on that commercial industry private industry side that that same market exists on the government DOD side and they have really stable, long-term, long, -term, long th uh, forward thinking budgets. Um, and so that's why the government is really a great customer to be considering because uh, as we kind of go into some unstable uh, market conditions, uh, you know, everyone looking for uh, a long-term customer, uh, that, that could be the government. I mean, they are, uh, there's a large moat but if you get over that uh, that moat and get into the castle, it's worth it. Mm, that's interesting. So uh, diving into a, a little bit of a fear there. Um, what if your product falls short in the eyes of the government? I mean, do you find yourself in Guantanamo? Um, you know, <laughs> no. and like, oh man, uh, his shoes were late. Um, you know that that he ordered, and now yep. they're going to arrest me, throw me in prison forever. And my, my name's going to be wiped from the records. Is that a fear or what, what does that look like for a startup that fails? No. And I, I love that question. I've never been asked that question, but I, I never I, thought of it, but I'm I, glad I yeah, did. I've never, but that is a, um, it's amazing because you're, you're right. Like the government puts out a lot of, you see all the news stories of like, you know, people going to jail for, you know, or, or, or worse to get fined a lot of money, not, not worse. <laughs> But like sure. some companies, uh, you know, get in a lot of trouble because they got their pricing wrong or they they were price gouging the government or something like that. And you think, well, I don't want to get into that mess and, uh, you know, cross a red tape that I didn't know existed uh, and get in trouble with the government. So that's a great question. But the reality is, like, uh, it's it's much easier than people think. There's a lot less risk of that if you're if you're trying to do business the right way. The government has a lot of uh, flexibility for you and for small business. 
Um, they're not trying to get you, you know. <laughs> and so uh, if, if you're delivering what you say you said you were going to deliver or, or making an honest effort to, then, you know, you're going to be fine. And uh, um, especially with research and development contracts, which are the ones we, we focus on and uh, primarily go after, which is called Small Business Innovation Research Program or Small Business Technology Transfer Program. The acronym for those are SBIR and STTR. These are R&D contracts, meaning they don't expect uh, an end item. They don't expect you to make a delivery of something. It's funding to conduct research and development to try hypothesis to figure out, will this work? Is this feasible? And, you know, sometimes the answer is no. And you get to the end of that contract and you say, you know, we, we tried our best, but weren't able to deliver on what we thought we were going to. And that's okay. Like government accepts that risk with R&D and uh, grant funds uh, with uh, some agencies uh, use it. So, um, yeah, so I, I think that, that that's not a big, uh, a big fear if you're if you're trying to do things the right way, you're not going to run into issues. And, and certainly there are a lot of people uh, to help. And, you know, uh, the SBA, uh, Small Business Administration, uh, they have local offices to help with that stuff, too, to make sure you're not getting in any kind of um, step in any potholes. Right. It makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, the the enterprise that it is, uh, the government, it, you know, it's it's been around for decades. Um, and if they you know their goal was to to squash everybody who came through those doors, um, it, I think people would would be more aware of that. Um, you know, now I do want to I do want to learn about some of these success stories that you've had. Um, but as we dive into the success stories, let's combine that with what your vision looks like for those that you serve. Um, let's talk about it from the angle of of who's been successful and and what does their path look like. And how many years have you been doing this now, Sam? Yeah. So I got out in 2019 and that's when I got out of the uh, uh, government or I was an Air Force procurement uh, officer. We call them contracting officers in the DOD. Um, I got out in 2019 after being in since 2009. And uh, so did about 10 years in and then got out and, and been working with tech startups, helping them do business with DOD ever since. But uh, hold on, you started working with tech startups before that, though, because we did in 2019. We met in here. Uh, so I think it was 2016, 2017. Yeah. When we, we first met. So I was at, I was here at, uh, offensive cyber acquisitions in San uh -huh. Antonio. So that's what, that was my career as a air force contracting officer as I was writing contracts for defensive offensive cyber capabilities. And, uh, uh, I was, and you were consulting as a business coach, but I don't remember. I, I was a volunteer at SCORE, at, uh, which is a, uh, a nonprofit organization for it's like consulting for other small business entrepreneurs. And I was also founded a startup club, which was another 501c3 nonprofit uh, to help small business and entrepreneurs uh, starting their business, setting up companies and working with the government. And so, yeah, you know, very so I didn't important. remember that. Yeah. And that, and so I did get my, uh, you know, get started to get my chops at working with small business and doing some consulting while I was still in the Air Force, but it was all in a, in a volunteer nonprofit capacity uh, working for those organizations, which, I, but I loved it. I had a real passion for teaching, educating, um, and, uh, and, you know, seeing these small businesses succeed. 
whether that was at raising money or working with the government, it was really, really fun. And that's how I met, you and I met. So the startup club was, was that it was a free resource for um, San Antonio started with San Antonio companies. Um, and then it kind of grew like we were kind of nationwide. So it used to be called the, the San Antonio startup club. Yeah. And we had to change that to just the startup club because uh, it wasn't just San Antonio anymore. So, um, but yeah, it was, we, we put out a lot of education. Uh, we put out a book, a uh, free book and um, a couple different um, resources through a lot of events and it's still going, uh, still supporting small business in the area and uh, as a member of a, a chamber and things like that. So cool. Awesome. And I know I, I derailed you with that because I just got, I, like, <laughs> I know we talked about this in 2017 or so as well, but okay. So 2019, uh, those you served vision, let's go right back to that. Yeah, sure. Sounds good. So, so what hasn't changed, even though I left the air force, um, uh, in, in 2019, who I still serve is the, the warfighter, the, we use that term in the DOD as to describe the operational end user. We call it. So it's not just the guys who pull triggers. It's it's anybody that that um, serves in the military. We call them war fighters in, in general. So it's not it's airmen, soldiers, special operations. They all fall under that kind of broader term. Um, but but the the war fighter, the people that support the mission of national security, national defense, um, they are. Uh, anyone from you know maintainers of aircraft to engineers to actual trigger pullers and pilots and and you know um guys on the ground and infantry and those kinds of scenarios but it can be all the way up the supply chain like all the, the entire organization um needs to be uh re revamped innovated on um and that's really what's given the department of defense their edge you know, since the beginning of America has been like our ability to innovate and to uh, industrialize, be the first to, to um, you know, bring bring new technologies to uh, to bear. And that uh, in the last 20, 30 years, I think has slowed down quite a bit. And so what I saw when I was in the DOD was everything from, you know, our communication uh, like how we shared reports to our supervisors uh, to, you know, actual weaponry and things like everything in between was outdated and um, it was causing us to fall behind and, and lose our edge uh, in a lot of different ways. And I think that's how there was a great, uh, I'll, I'll send you the link after the, the after the video, but there, last week actually was a great uh, talk by um, Andreessen Horowitz at the defense venture summit in DC where um, I, I got to give A16Z a lot of credit for what they talked about, um, about America and the, the DOD losing their edge and how, how you might come to beat America is by, you know, um, changing the culture of, uh, from an innovation to more of a, uh, you know, zero risk, you know, don't, um, don't innovate, uh, you know, and, and be comfortable uh, kind of status. And I feel like that has been very evident in the DOD as we've, We've been um, fighting, you know, in a war for a long time. We we started in 2001, engaging uh, other countries, but those those uh, combatants, those enemies, were not uh, peers. They were, you know, um, uh, they were fighting in caves with rocks and stones and sticks, that kind of stuff. And so, like that that enemy, though, you know, they were uh, a threat and dangerous. 
they kind of allowed us to become um, a little too comfortable with our technology superiority that we let it wane quite a bit over the last 30 years to where now if we look at, oh, you know, threats that are ongoing in Ukraine and Israel and other parts of the world that, hey, we might be dragged into a much more superior uh, fighting force, you know, and going up against uh, enemies that are, uh, you know, more our peers than um, previously. And when we're in that fight, do we still have our edge and are we uh, disrupting that war or are we catching up? And I think what I saw from where I was sitting was if we had to fight tonight, you know, uh, we would, we were not the disruptors. We were, we were falling behind our peers and competitors. And so um, I got out in 2019 because of family issues and, you know, I had a a baby on the way. I didn't want to take another deployment back to Afghanistan with, uh, uh, with some things going on. So I decided it was time for me and my family to get out of the air force but I never stopped the, my mission of trying to help support the warfighter in that I'm trying to get great technology into their hands to improve their lives, make their jobs easier. And so who I serve is still the DOD. Awesome. And, yeah. <laughs> I shifted your question because yeah, you went right, right into it. It was awesome. You went right into it, which is what is your vision? Feel free to expand on that. Yeah. So, so my vision is trying to get, uh, uh, trying to help from this side, meaning I'm trying to help tech startups and innovative companies get their technology inserted into the DOD uh, infrastructure, get it into their hands and of the warfighter. Um, and so to make sure that, that we're not disrupted in the next war, that we're doing the disrupting, right? That we have all the, the tech we need to um, to be that that's uh, superior. Because I think, you know, our our generation, my my kids' generation, depend on that, that we, we maintain that, um, that technological superiority and we maintain that edge. And so, uh, my way of doing that is helping to insert that innovation by assisting technology startups and all the innovative companies that are on the outside, looking into the DOD, helping them get their start and working with the department of defense. I love that. Now you talked about, um, you know, the, you talked about the distraction ultimately that can exist. Um, you know, when you're when you kind of silo in and focus and you talked about the 30 year war that's kind of been ongoing and and it makes a lot of sense. That's why a lot of people say the good is the enemy of great. Um, right. And when you're when you apply that to something specific, like what's our focal point in terms of war, um, you're, you're bound to have some types of blinders on, um, you know, and then you're overly focused. And that's what you mean. It's not that we didn't care anymore. It's not that we weren't trying. Um, but the, the shift has been, I mean, if you ask anybody, you know, who was the last war with it, I think a lot of people, you know, would respond Afghanistan, Iraq, um, you know, Middle Eastern countries. Um, and the, the focal point would be very narrow. Um, whereas you're talking about how the rest of the world, um, you know, that, that hasn't gotten as much involved with that reality that there may be countries in the world that have been preparing in other ways for strategic, um, let's call them strategic confrontations for now, um, with, you know, who knows who's preparing what, um, and what type of focus they've had while, while we've been focused on, on, like you said, people who are willing to fight from caves, um, that there, there would definitely be a dramatic change, 
um, and, and strategy on both entities because of the, the variables that exist with that on the preparation. So we'll leave that where it's at. Um, we'll dive right back into startup finance and, and you know, how, how companies may relate to this. Um, let's, before we move into the worst leadership experience you've ever had, um, before we move into that, let's talk about how to get these contracts. Um, you know, like what, where do people start? Um, are there websites for it? I mean, you kind of blew my mind with the application process. So I'll have, uh, Cynthia as well, help us with some of the screen share on that. Um, and I might pull it up too, but Sam, where, where, what do we do if we wanted to get a contract with the government to help behind the scenes, um, with, with, uh, that, what'd you call it? The, the market, the De department of defense market. What does that look like? Yeah, for sure. So, uh, the DOD is, uh, they have a number of processes and tools in their tool belt, how they do business with, uh, industry. Uh, to oversimplify millions and millions of pages of, of acquisition uh, regulations, <laughs> uh, I'm going to boil it down to really three tools. So uh, again, for the, the acquisition procurement nerds out there, they're, they're going to squirm when I say this, but the contracting <laughs> officer really has three tools at their uh, disposal. So they can go public, they can reach out to the public and, and ask for uh, a solution to their requirement. And we would do that through a website called you know, uh, SAM.gov. It used to be called Beta SAM. Before that, it was called uh, uh, FedBizOps. Um, and so it's changed names a couple of times. But SAM.gov is where you would go to look at what are the open opportunities, what are the calls for uh, uh, requests for quotes that are out there. That's where maybe 10% of government's budget is spent. Um, another 10% is spent uh, going sole source. So instead of pub, you know, publishing my requirements out there publicly for the whole world to see and for them to bid on, um, I can take it sole source. I can find the uh, company that I want to work with, that specific brand, that specific product, and I can go direct and do a sole source contract with them. Now, why is only 10% of the budget spent that way in sole source way? Because you're really not supposed to. Like The federal acquisition regulations are set up that to maximize competition, to maximize um, value and to get the best price for the government and to uh, encourage competition uh, for you know the economy and the U.S. small business and, and all the businesses, they really think government should try to the most to the maximum extent practical, not pick their favorites and go sole source. They should compete it. So uh, for that reason, even though going sole source is super fast and usually you can get a contract done in 30 to 90 days that way. Um, you know, most of the budget is not spent that way. Uh, and then the other 80% of the budget, the, the biggest piece of the iceberg is below the surface. And that is spent through what we call, what I call private solicitations. So these are IDIQs, BPAs, uh, government contract vehicles. And I'll explain some of those. So IDIQ is indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity. BPA is blanket purchase agreement. It's like some of those contract vehicles, um, uh, that you may have heard of are they're basically catalogs so you compete to initially get on the catalog and then once you're on the catalog then the government can order off of that catalog uh, as much as they want and they don't have to go public with it because they, they already have the selected number of vendors the cool kids that are on those contracts that they know okay this group of vendors can provide these services so i'll only compete my requirement among that, that group who are on that hold the contract vehicle 
or on that catalog. And that way it speeds up my acquisition timeline. Because if I go public and you know I spend 10% of my budget that way, why? Because it takes so long. If I go public, it's going to be a 10 to 12 month process. I'm going to put it out there. I'm going to get thousands of bids from small businesses all around the country and, and large businesses. And I'm going to have to sit, sort through all of those proposals. I'm going to have to pick my favorites, the best, whittle that group down, finally make a selection, and then I'm going to get protested. Everybody's going to complain that they weren't picked. And it's going to, you know, there's a formal process to protest that effectively freezes that acquisition. I can't move forward. So all of these, uh, you know, prescribed timelines that I have to follow to do a public purchase means that it's probably going to take me nine to 12 months to buy something. And that's not fast enough. So that's why only 10% of budget is spent that way. Hmm. Most of it is tried. We try to spend it on something that's much faster. We either spend it on a private solicitation or, or we do sole source, but 80% of the budget is probably spent and requirements are spent on these, on those private solicitations, on these GSA schedules, BPAs, IDIQ catalog contracts. And the reason I do that is because I can get a contract out in 90 days to maybe six months at the, uh, you know, on the long end. And the reason it's so much faster is because I'm only, I'm only competing in against maybe 20 companies, maybe a hundred companies at most. And I have way fewer proposals to evaluate. I can set the rules of that catalog. I can say, Hey, if it, the, if the requirement is a uh, less than a hundred million dollar contract, then you're not allowed to protest. And, you know, everybody agrees to those terms when they get on the contract. So I can kind of set the rules of my own catalog, uh, which allow me to go a lot faster. The problem with this, the problem with these three tools is small business as an entrepreneur, a startup, you know, today, I can only see 10% of the requirements and 10% of the budget that are being published. Um, because I, the only thing I can go out and Google and find a requirement to work with the government is what's on SAM.gov. But I'm not seeing the rest of that iceberg beneath the surface of all those requirements, all that budget I'm missing out on um, because it's going through, you know, non-public means. So, uh, the way as a small business, I, I have to go about that is either a, I can, I can wait around for a catalog to be competed. I can bid on it. Um, you know, and they come out about every five years <laughs> and I can get on the next one and I can be one of the cool kids on that catalog, or I have to partner with someone who's already on the catalog. And so I find those businesses that hold that contract and I have to sub underneath them. And, um, you know, those, those small businesses or those companies that own that catalog, they know how valuable it is and they tend to use that as leverage. And so you, uh, you know, end up giving a ton of margin away, uh, uh, which is very important to a small business survival. If you're giving away all your profit because you have to discount everything to be able to work with this company, your prime will start to squeeze you as a subcontractor. It's very difficult uh, to work under the under the budgets that the primes are giving you and things like that. And so um, so it's not ideal. Um, the other way is to do it sole source, but that requires this huge BD effort. I have to go out and find the engineers, the program managers, the project guys, and make them aware that I am a small business, that my product exists, that I'm here, and that I can be sole source. And, and that requires a lot of business development to go out and find those, those buyers, those requirement um, holders, <laughs> owners, that, uh, that's a better word for it, requirement owners. I have to go find those people, make them aware that I exist, that I can solve their problems. And so 
for a small business who's just getting started, that's a lot of time and money spent on business development that they probably don't have. And when they can go public and go you know, private and sell to uh, B2B much faster with way less spin on sales and, and BD. And so uh, that's that's often you know the route they'll go is they'll just avoid doing business with the government because it's not not worth it. And so uh, that that's the problem with those that that setup. How my company helps how you know what we've identified as a need here is that you know from a startup looking at the the DoD as one giant black box and not knowing where to begin. Who do I talk to? Who who should be my customers? My requirement? Uh, who has requirements that I can solve? That's where we come in. Um, you know, we're a business development as a service. And so we're helping you connect to these customers, find the buyers and requirement owners and have those conversations. Ideally to go sole source, if they have money, we want to go on contract. We want to not compete for it. We want to go direct and we want to win that business. But, um, and of course we're looking for public stuff too. And we're going after everything and we see that that is a fit um, on the public side. But we're really going after the beneath surface opportunities and trying to find the, the, the requirement owners that maybe maybe they have a problem. They don't know a solution is out there. They don't even know one exists. So they're not asking for it publicly because they don't they don't even identify their own problem. And so what we're there to do is help identify those uh, those customers who have missions, who have requirements that meet uh, the small business capabilities, their solutions and get them talking. And when we get them talking, that usually leads to uh, the next problem. <laughs> right. Is, you know, nine times out of 10, you're talking to the government uh, in a, and you're, you know, we did all the work to set up this meeting, facilitate the conversation. You're sitting on the other side of the, the desk and the government person's like, yeah, this sounds great. You've got a really cool technology or solution. I'd love to use it. This would help my life <laughs> be a lot easier. The next thing they say, though, is, Oh, but I, I don't have any money. Um, you hear that a lot with government. And of course, you're yeah, like, that a lot in the world, my friend. That's just yeah. that's the universal lingo. Of yeah, like, <laughs> I've got, it's so frustrating because you're like, I have a customer. I have a willing champion, but they just don't have any money. They can't can't do business. Um, and, uh, you know, you can solve their problems if you can just get that contract. And so uh, what when we run into that issue here, we've got a customer who doesn't have money. And there's good reasons why they, they, as a government, they have to think very long term. They're forecasting, you know, two years out what they're going to spend their money on, and so they're they have to think about what their requirements are in 2025, 2026, and request budget from Congress uh, to pay for that. And so when you're talking to them, you know, they're not saying I don't have money. They have money. Uh, they just don't they don't, it's all spoken for. All that money has a name already that every dollar has a name. And so they're saying, Hey, come back to me next fiscal year. I might have money for you. Then you, you weren't on my radar two years ago when I wrote my budget. Um, so come back to me two years from now and I'll write you into my budget. Then of course for a startup, that's not an answer. Like you right. got to report to your investor now, <laughs> right? You, you have to meet quarterly, uh, sales targets or else, you know, you're laying off uh, people. And so, uh, you can't wait a year for a contract, maybe Boeing and Lockheed can, you know, but a small business right. can't wait a year. And, and so now we've got, you know, this problem number two, I've got this customer, they just need money. 
and that's where SBIR, STTR programs come in, is these are, these are uh, programs that were created back in the 80s by, by Congress that said, hey, you know, every, every uh, federal entity who has an R&D budget has to set aside a portion of that to go to small business. And so for the Department of Defense, it's $3 billion a year, uh, which is only three, it's 3.2% of the DOD's total R&D budget. Uh, but it's a lot of money. It's $3 billion a year that's set aside for small business and say, hey, you have to spend this on, on small business. So as, a, as an entrepreneur, as a startup, you can say to that customer, hey, it's okay, you don't have money. You know, and you want to work with me and you don't have budget. That's okay. We're going to go use other people's money. We're going to go tap into the SBIR, STGR budgets, and we're going to use that money to start working with you now and uh, bridge the gap between today and next fiscal year when you do have your own money. And so for a government customer, this is huge because you're telling them, wait, I can get my hands on commercial tech that can help me today on a really fast contract and it's zero risk to me. Like, no, you know, there's no risk to my budget or my schedule. Like, it's huge. So they, they're uh, very supportive of it. Um, and so it's a win-win for everybody. It's win for the small, win for the government customer you know, why not? So, so that's what we do. We've got customers that, uh, you, you know, are interested in the product we've helped find, uh, and they just need money. Then we'll go get money using the SBIRS TTR program. And then if that government customer, by the way, does have money, they say, Hey, you're in luck. I had a, you know, a project cancel. I've got extra funds. Then we know how to get that on contract in a sole source way too. So we'll help, help go that way. But really, you know, the, the key is using SBIR as a uh, as a way to get in there, build a relationship, build a beachhead with each of these customers, a, a paid pilot, if you will, to get in there and have them adopt the technology, provide feedback. You get a little funding to do adaptation and integration work that you need to do to, to get that product into the customer's hands. Um, but you know, it's all, uh, it's all in an effort to make sure that next year you're transitioning out of that, uh, that cyber contract into a real contract using, um, you know, non SBIR money, but you're using it to build a relationship with these customers and you can use as many as you want. So like, you're not limited to how many phase twos or SBIR contracts that you have. So you're just, it's just a matter of how many customers can I find that want to use my product that need funding. I can go use SBIR as a mechanism, as a tool uh, to start working with those customers now and start building that relationship. And that way you become the incumbent so that, you know, next year when they do have money, of course, they're going to go with you. <laughs> right, right, right. That makes sense. Um, it makes a lot of sense. In fact, uh, there's a lot of this that didn't make sense for me, for those who are listening. So I wrote down a ton of acronyms and took a lot of notes, um, you know, and, and anybody who's listening, that's, you know, six years ago, Sam, and we talked about this. I'm when we talked about this, actually, I may or may not have peed my pants a little bit. Um, <laughs> just for the amount of, of foreign language that exists in that. But um, since then, you know, I, I, I had a contract with a company in Canada. Um, I'm a very, very small equity owner of that company now. But what we were doing is we were working with, um, we had a loan, I'm uh, not a loan, we had a grant writing company that, you know, may or may not have been associated with our entity. Um, that, and I don't know how that worked, but we would get these grants for our customers. They would give us 
uh, you know, the, the $9,000 or whatever it was up front that was required for this grant process. And within 72 hours, they would end up with $36,000 in marketing budget that would all come to us. We'd return the $9,000. Um, and that, you know, they were able to move forward with these massive marketing budgets that they couldn't otherwise access. It sounds very similar. Um, and I've been looking for this on, you know, in the United States It's like, all right, what's the equivalent to what the heck they were doing? Because this dramatically changed the game for these entrepreneurs to be able to compete and, and finally have a budget to do something with. So, um, I'm going to be talking to you more offline about this because, um, I think there's, there's ways sure. that this applies to first class business too. Yeah. There, there's a lot of, uh, there's other, there's other barriers that we haven't talked about that, that, sure. uh, that this solves. And so like. Why should you care about small business innovation research, like SBIR program? Well, for one, it's because you don't have to have any past performance. And so like normally, if you want to work with the government, if you wanted to go compete and win a catalog contract that I talked about earlier, you have to have this positive Yelp review with the government. They have to, you have to have earned your, your, you know, five-star review hmm. uh, by working as a subcontractor for a long time and gaining that, uh, that they call CPARs. So it's a contractor performance assessment. So um, it's not Yelp, <laughs> but it's similar. Oh, I got you. I got yeah. what you meant. <laughs> right. So you have to earn that past performance to be able to go and compete and win a, a prime contract uh, direct with the government. Um, well, under SBIR, that's not required. You can come off the street, be the first time you're working with the government, and you can be a direct uh, contractor. You have a direct contract with, with the government. And then you use that to start to build your performance, uh, uh, your your past performance reviews. And so uh, then when you go and compete with uh, competitive contracts, you know, that are not SPIR that, that you're finding out on the street, you have that that background of experience and um, and good reviews to to allow you to be competitive on those other awards. But the second thing is, is like you get sole source rights. And this is really powerful. And this is why a lot of large businesses still pay attention to SPIR. Because if you win a small business innovation research uh, contract, then every federal entity is mandated by statute that if they have a requirement that matches a solution that a small business has won an SPIR for, they're mandated by statute. They have to go sole source to you to the maximum extent practical. Uh, so that means if you, if you win an SPIR for your product, uh, for your novel solution, then every federal entity uh, is supposed to go to you directly. Um, now it's on the it's it's on the onus is on the small business to make the government aware that hey I've got a sole source contract vehicle you're supposed right. to go with me. But uh, it's a very powerful tool that uh, a lot of larges keep an eye on because they look for products that can be sole source that they can integrate into their systems to make their whole you know if it's a component. Of one of their larger systems, it'll make their whole system sole sourceable, and uh, which is huge if they're able to do a, a sole source contract. Um, mm -hmm. And then also they they look at uh, acquiring companies with that kind of uh, sole source rights. And so we see uh, that you know even if a company is acquired or they sell the product rights to somebody else, that sole sourceability goes with the product. It's not tied to the small business, uh, to the name of the company. It's tied to the product. Um, and then finally, you get IP and data rights. So normally, if you win a government contract and they pay you to develop something, they want to own that thing that you developed. Uh, right. But in this case, 
whether it's developed at your expense or the government's expense, anything that's that's created in an SBIR uh, contract is your IP. It's 100 percent. Oh, wow. Your data rights. And so uh, for 20 years after the life of the last uh, cyber contract, so that's a very powerful tool um, that, hey, I can go get non-dilutive funding to develop my software, to build my you know tool. And uh, um, I you still own 100 percent of the IP. Uh, that's important if you want to go out and raise money from VC. They want to know that, you know, that uh, you you have all the data rights and uh, right. uh, rights to the IP that you own um, and what they're investing into. And so, yeah, it's a uh, that there's three good reasons, right? So no no past performance, keep the data rights, and you have that sole that's source big. tool, which is really powerful. I'm gonna call this. Um, I'm gonna call this a two-part episode now. I hope you're okay with that, Sam. I'm I'm committing <laughs> you. Um, so I'd love to. I'd love to have you back sooner than later. Um, I also I want to take this conversation offline, do my own research with this process. Um, you know, and and ultimately consult with you on on what does this look like for first-class business. You talked about a solution to a problem people don't know they have. Um, I think it's so awkward and ironic that you and I know that for our kiddos. We would never accept a 4% success rate in a school, right? You would never send your child to a school with a 4% success rate. And we have a 4% for survival rate in business. Yet entrepreneurs are accepting that. They, they, they don't hear that. They don't want to hear it. Um, you know, I get it, but it's not, you're not, you're not a statistic. However, in order to overcome the statistics, we have to make moves that are different than what we're accustomed to making. And that's ultimately what we have is a several formulas that aren't being utilized in business to help with that process. So anyway, we've got to, we got to talk offline about it. I'll be bringing Sam back as long as he's willing to. Um, we'll dive deeper into some of the specifics of this. We'll also cover at that time worst leadership experience, best leadership experience, and, and his powerful lessons. But I think this was far more powerful for those of you who um, you know, are in a position where you need funding, um, you need a source to go to that is that is not Kickstarter, um, you know, or a traditional venture capitalist. And, you know, you're you're willing to explore what opportunities you have. I, I showed earlier uh, that Sam.gov and I want to point out a few. That's not SamRain.gov, by the way, yeah. <laughs> just Sam.gov. He just happens to be named same, same, same name. Anyway, um, some of the questions on there just drove me nuts. I was like, you can see how bad this process is and, and why you need some guidance. It says, how do you know if you already registered? The fact that that question is on, on their site tells you what a, what a crap show the process is. And then it says, um, what, why isn't my registration active yet? And what happens if my registration fails validation? If those are your warnings on your homepage, you know it's a difficult process. Yeah. Um, so you can certainly use these resources to try to go about it on your own. But if you want to get a hold of Sam, he's on LinkedIn. We'll also have his contact information in the show notes. I can get running for our next episode, Sam, but I'd love to have you back. Are you cool with that? Yeah, I'd love to. Okay, my friend. We'll, we'll definitely do that. And uh, uh, how, can, how can I book with you? Yeah, so just uh, you can have, use my calendar link. So it's uh, calendly.com slash Sam dash S-B-I-R. Go ahead and drop that in the comments in so people have it. Um, and I will be utilizing that too in just a minute. Vision Pros, you guys have an excellent day and we'll see you on the next episode. Everybody Sounds take good. care.
Thank you for being here today. I'm really happy that you tuned in to Vision Pros Live. I'm looking forward to seeing your reactions as these episodes continue to move forward. This is going to get more and more fun. We'll have more and more engagement as well. We'll invite people to participate in the show. And thank you for giving us your time.